0: Thank you for checking out our sermons online at Coastal Community Church. We're so glad that uh, you're using these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth. But one of the things we're really passionate about at Coastal is that you have a local church. And so while we encourage you to to make use of these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to find a Bible-believing church in your community. If you live in our community, we'd love for you to visit with us. Uh, We uh, are in Yorktown, Virginia. We meet on 101 Village Avenue, and we would love for you to come and check us out. We have three services times 8 o'clock nine thirty, and 11 and uh, on Sunday morning and so if you live in the Virginia area and the Yorktown area on the peninsula we would love for you to come and check us out we're going to be starting a, a new sermon series um, here in the in the late winter uh, called Beginnings, and we're going to look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and that's going to be covering creation to Noah. And, uh, you know, this is an important series for us as we uh, at Coastal like to lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason it's important is kind of like when you're at the mall and you're trying to find a store and you, and you look at the map on the mall, and if you don't know where you are, where your beginning place is, which usually on a map is marked with a big red X that says you are here. If you don't know your starting point, then you don't know where you're going. And so we think the beginning book of the Bible, Genesis, is very important for us to understand how and why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we hope you'll investigate for the next eight weeks uh, the series that we're doing together called Beginnings. In the beginning, God created. Great to see you, Pastor Andrew. Thank you for that introduction to this message. It was sounded so great. I was like, man, I can't wait to hear this guy. He sounds amazing. So uh, do me a favor. If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me. Get out your handout in your uh, in your bulletin. Follow along with me in the notes. And uh, we're gonna start a new series called Beginnings. And uh, this is a very important series, I think, to your understanding of the of the greater story of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, a couple things while you're kind of getting organized. Number one, I, a couple weeks ago I mentioned uh, one of the dreams in my heart that I've been praying about, about uh, maybe a a safe home uh, for Human trafficking, and so listen—that's a dream, all right. Something I'm praying about. Uh, but currently, we're partnering with uh, VBGI, and so they're out at the uh, at the missions desk. Uh, missions part of our, our welcome area. And So, if that's something you're interested in being more involved in, uh, VBGI is a local organization that's raising awareness uh, uh, to this human trafficking issue, and we partner with them on some things. And so, if you want more information about how you can get involved now. Uh, head out there after the service, and at the other arm of our of our welcome desk is uh, small group sign-ups, and this is an eight-week series that we're partnering together. We want everybody to be in a small group, and if you're not—I preached on that last week—if you are not in a small group, it's going to be very, very easy to be disconnected from coastal, which we don't want, and we believe it's a very valuable step in your process and growing as a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. So, so please find a small group that fits your time, and the preparation of your small group Group, is it to attend here, listen to the sermon, and take notes, okay? And uh, that's going to prepare you for the discussion in your small group. We're going to dive in, all right? And so and if you if you need a Bible in your chair in front of you, uh, I'd like to tell you, you just turn to page one, all right? But it's actually page three, and so uh, turn to page three, Genesis chapter one, and uh, we're going to look at the first chapter. I want you to know uh, that when we're covering the book of Genesis, I'm going to be covering the, the first 11 chapters, okay? There's There's no possible way that I can answer all the questions in eight weeks. I can't even answer all the questions you may have about Genesis 1 in eight weeks, okay? So so I'm not even going to attempt to do that. What I want to do is give you a high-level view of beginnings, okay? And it's very important for you to understand Genesis to understand the rest of the narrative. The rest of what God is doing is revealed to us in scripture, okay? And so if you've ever been to the mall, right, and you walk into the mall and you want to find that particular store that you're going to and you, you find the map, okay, and the map makes no sense to you unless there's an X on the map that says what? You're here, right? And so you got to kind of know where you are to know where you're going. And so the, this series is kind of that. It's kind of the you are here. This is your starting point. This is, this is how we came into existence. And if you, if you start navigating without knowing your starting point, you're not going to arrive at the, the right conclusion, okay? And so Genesis 1 in particular is the idea of, man, this is the starting point to the rest of this narrative that points us to the gospel of Jesus Jesus Christ. Every chapter, every page on every chapter of the book of the Bible is a signpost to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, So that is what's going on here, and that's where I want us to start. I, 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 I could never cover everything, and, and so I'm not even going to try. I, I, it would be difficult in one sermon even to try to cover everything about the beginning of life here on the planet. Okay, I'm not even smart enough to do so. And so, uh, so what I want to do this morning with Genesis 1 is to really give you the picture that I think the author is trying to give us. Okay. And, and, and so what happens is we import some ideas into Genesis 1 here in the, in the 20th century that I don't think the original author was even attempting to answer. So, so, so let me back up for a minute and, give, and ask you a little background. Okay. Let's ask a little background about Genesis 1. Anybody know who wrote Genesis 1? Who wrote it? Anybody know? It was written by Moses, okay, and that's, a, that's affirmed to us both through the Old Testament and the New Testament, including Christ Himself. who talks about the law of Moses. Anytime you hear the law of Moses in your Bible, the author is referring to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's authenticated by Christ himself that Moses was the author of Genesis. And so that's very, very important because then we have to ask ourselves, well, why? What was was Moses attempting to communicate to the original hearers of Genesis 1? Okay, so who were the original hearers of Genesis 1? Anybody know? It's a bunch of freed slaves, right? They're a bunch of Jewish people. They've been in captivity in Egypt. God raised up Moses to lead these people out of captivity towards the promised land, okay? And so this generation of people probably had been taught throughout their lifetime that Ra, the Egyptian sun god, was the creator, and so Moses here is attempting to teach a bunch of recently freed slaves that that is a lie, but rather Elohim, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which you're going to, hopefully, now my hope is you're going to begin to read through Genesis, okay, starting today. All right, it's a, you can read through it and begin to get a taste of what we're talking about. Okay, so, and so he's attempting to teach these free slaves that Yahweh is the creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The second thing I want you to see, okay, in the context is if you look at your English Bible, everybody look down at your English Bible, I hope you have it open. You'll notice most of the time in your English Bible, there's indentations around this passage. Do you see that? Everybody see that? And what is that an indication of? That's an indication to us that Genesis 1 is probably a song or a poem, all right? And so it's not intended to be a science book. It's not its intent. It's not what Moses was intending. Okay, it's intended to be memorable. And by the way, you do this with songs, right? I mean, songs are, and poems are amazing ways to memorize things, Yes? Roses are red. Do it. Amazing grace. It's amazing how you remember that, right? It's incredible. McDonald's to all beef patties. What is the special sauce? No one knows, right? It's a hidden secret, right? I know we're in church, but I bet some of y'all know this. Just a small town girl. Come on, you're church, right? Living in a lonely world. She took a midnight, you know that, right? Oh, I wish I were an, can you imagine the marketing meeting where that went down? Let's get a billion people singing, I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener, right? I mean, that's a genius ploy, but man, songs stick. I could go on and on. I mean, there are marketing departments that spend billions of dollars to get you to think about their, their company or their product because songs stick. And I think that's what Moses is doing here so that, so that as this nation travels across the desert to the promised land, he can begin to get a memorable song or poem in their heart and mind so that they understand that at the very beginning what was, was Elohim is the is the word he uses, or Yahweh, chapter 2, so that the, these recently freed slaves know that how they showed up, okay? And so my point is, and here's what I want you to know, that I believe that the original intent of Genesis chapter 1 is not a science book, but rather it's theological. And what Moses is doing here is he's, he's setting up the story for the rest of the narrative that is pointing to Christ, and so what I want to do here this morning is I want to draw out six theological truths that Genesis 1 gives us that kind of marks the you are here on the map so that you know why you need a Savior. Because that's really what I think Moses is doing, all right? So I want to give you, for number one, I think this is the most controversial verse in the Bible. You ready? Here it is. I'm going to stir up all kinds of controversy this morning. It's in the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Think about that. And that's controversial, right? In the beginning, God. Why is it controversial? Well, because if that's true, I mean, if in the beginning, God is true, then then isn't the rest of the narrative, isn't the rest of the story plausible? I mean, if if in the beginning, God, then then why would it surprise us that this this all-creating God would want to communicate with us? Of course he would. He's intelligent. He's magnificent. He's glorious. He he creates glorious things. So where's the shock that God would want to communicate with us so that we know him better? controversial if in the beginning god is true then then certainly he has the right to define holiness right and righteousness he has the right then to define marriage and gender and life and salvation and how we are to be saved if in the beginning God is true, then why is it ridiculous to think that he couldn't part the Red Seas or have a virgin birth or, dare I say, rise from the dead? This is the most controversial verse in the Bible. Why? Because he's God. I'm going to tell you something. If, if you're wrestling with the truths of this book, what you're wrestling with is the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. I want, I want to do a side note, okay? I want to take a side note because I'm going to skip up something that y'all have been, some of y'all, there's a handful of you came in here and you're like, I can't wait till he addresses this, okay? Because I'm, I'm not going to cover it. I'm just going to give you a side note, all right? I do not think that the issue of Genesis 1 is whether or not God created in seven literal days. I don't think that's the issue, I don't think that's the issue. I don't don't even think it's of consequence. Now, if you want to push me and you say, Pastor John, what do you believe about Genesis? Well, I believe God created in seven literal days. Why? Because he's capable, right? In the beginning, God, he can do it however he wants to do it. However, that is not the core of what Gen- genesis is all about now some of y'all have just pegged me as a liberal okay that doesn't make me a liberal all right in fact i think it's a bad hermeneutic to push that on there again the intent of moses is to teach that elohim is the creator this is theological it's not scientific now let me give for those of you who are sitting here and go man it's got to be four little days it's got to be four little days let me just give you a couple things for your consideration okay Number one, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm talking, talking about this, there's been more ink spilled on this issue in Christian circles than I, than I care to spend time on. But number one, all right, the word for day, which is the word yom, generally means a literal 24-hour day, okay? In fact, a bulk of the time, that is how that word is translated. But it's not always the case. It's not always the case. Even in Scripture, it's not always the case. So we have to be cautious with that. Number two, all right, just something for your consideration. Let's go back to third grade science, all right? What is 24 hours? How, how, do, how do we get 24 hours? What is it? Some of you are like, I, I don't know actually. So all right, it's, it's the earth rotating on its axis, right? So it's making its journey around the sun, but then it, each day it rotates on its axis and it takes 24 hours to make a complete circle, right? If you're a 24-hour, and, and listen, I've already said, I, I kind of come down in that camp, but I'm okay if it's not, all right? right, the, the sun in creation doesn't show up till day four in creation, right? So we have to give pause and go like, I mean, there's light and darkness day one, but the actual heavenly bodies don't show up till day four. Ooh, Let's pause and think about that, all right? The other thing that gives me pause is Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. So we have, we have this poem in Genesis 1 where God is, I, I mean, where Moses, I think, is teaching these Hebrews to, 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 to have a memorable uh, uh, poem or song to know that Elohim or Yahweh is the creator. Okay, and then in Genesis 2, he kind of unpacks it theologically even more. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, depending on your translation, it says this, Ready? these are the generations of the heavens. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Now some of your versions of the Bible say these are the accounts. The actual word there is, is uh, the literal word is birth record. This is the birth record of, of the heavens and the earth, or or it's the genealogical registration. That's literally the word, right? And so uh, you usually find this word that isn't, in many of your Bibles, training, this is the account of the heavens, earth. you usually find this word in the begat passages, right? Uh, for those of you who don't know what the begat passages is, it's, in, it's the old King James version where they start listing genealogical records and we find out so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and it just goes on for chapters, right? And you zone out with all these big names that you can't read. And so, you know, that's how that goes. But th- it's the idea these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, and they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So, again, I don't think that's the issue. I think that's a side note, okay, because, and, and I want to be cautious with this because I think when it comes to science, our goal, it's the same goal if you're pursuing Christianity, your goal should always be truth, right? I want to know what truthfully happens. I've got some news for you. I wasn't there, all right? And neither were you, and neither were the scientists, right? And so, and neither was Moses. God gave Moses this word to teach these Hebrews that God, Yahweh, is the creator. And it's theological is the point. Now, let me get back on on target, okay? Because here's what I think the rest of these verses of creation are telling us. Number two, theological theme. So number one, controversial verse. In the beginning, God. Number two, God created out of nothing. This is very important. The, the Latin word is ex nihilo. He created out of nothing. Genesis 1, 3. Then God said, God said, God said, let there be light. I just want, I just, it was part of Nate's prayer. Like, like if God speaks, And the cosmos comes into existence. How awesome must our God be? How powerful, how big. Hebrews 11, we looked at this past summer when when I preached through Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed by God's command. And that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Okay, this is very important. Evolutionary theory has no answer for the origin of matter. None. Evolutionary theory keeps knocking its head against out of nothing. <laughs> well, how did matter get here? How did the, where did the matter come from that the climate and, and everything was just suitable for the spontaneous origin of life? Where did that come from? Evolutionary theory has, has no answer. Where did the gelatinous muck come from? The existence of matter lends itself to an intelligent design. And to our God. And, and Moses clears this up. It's not just intelligent design. It's Yahweh God. And this is the question that atheistic evolution cannot answer. It can't explain out of nothing. And I'm going to tell you something. The more science try and I've, I've done plenty of sermons on creation. I, I'm, so I, Because of time this morning, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. But But the more science tries to explain out of nothing, the more it sounds like a leap of faith. Because God, our creator who we worship, created out of nothing. So it's in the beginning God and he created out of nothing. The third thing I want you to see theologically out of Genesis one this morning is that God is distinct from his creation. God is distinct from his creation. And that's very, very important. That has huge implications for your life and for my life. Number one, that means God has the right to rule. He God is in control. God is distinct from his creation. That makes him sovereign. And that means he has the right to rule. It means he rules over nature. That's that's why God is capable of doing the supernatural. That's why Jesus can calm the storm because he rules over nature. That's why Jesus can walk on water because he rules over nature. He has the right to rule. He has the right to define morality and righteousness because he's distinct from his creation. He, he, he's in control of everything. God is in control of nature. He's in control of our enemies. He's in control of circumstances. Yes, he is in control of your circumstances. If things are going good, it's because God is in control. If things are going difficult for you right now, it's because God is in control. He is sovereign over his creation. God's distinct from his creation. Secondly, under this idea of God being sovereign, it means we're accountable to God. We are accountable to God. I think one of the most... Sobering verses in the New Testament is is Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine, verse twenty-seven. I preached on this this summer, and, and Hebrews nine says this. And just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes judgment. By the way, we've 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 allowed some some bad Hinduism to sneak into our. American language, right? We say this all the time. I say this sometimes, right? When I come back in my what? In my next life, right? Have you ever hang around? Have you ever caught yourself saying that? I just want to be clear. That's not true. You don't get another go around on the globe. Hebrews 9 says, it's appointed once for a man to die. And after that comes judgment. Now, if you're a Christian that judgment is going to be found, you'll be found in Christ. And so you will not be judged based on your works. You will be judged based upon by grace through faith. You'll be judged based upon the works of Christ. And Romans tells us we will inherit, we'll, we'll get the inheritance of Christ. And that's why it's so important that, that in that moment you be found in Christ. But there's also a sense that that God is is creator, and and as the creature, we're humbled under him as creator. He's distinct from his creation, he's the creator, I'm the creature, and there's always a sense of awe and humility around that. The Bible tells us that that really humility is the beginning of wisdom. You're never going to figure out your life as long as you think you're, you're in charge There's a creaturely reminder of the awesomeness of God. One little phrases that I say often is God is God and you're not. Why? Because God is distinct from his creation. He is sovereign and he has the right to rule. I think that's one of the key theological points out of Genesis 1. Number four God created the world, and it was good and it was for his glory God created this creation all that we see and I love the I love the telescopes we're sending into deep space I don't know how many of you saw some of the pictures of Pluto recently just breathtaking God created and it was good and it was and it was for his glory and each day of God's creation, at the day as he finished, he declared it good, culminating on the sixth day where he created Adam and Eve, and he declared this in Genesis 1 verse 31, then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. What does that mean? Well, good good, good means morally good, morally righteous. Creation... God's original intent was for us to live in a place that was perfect, without sin, without brokenness It means it was relationally good we were, well, Adam and Eve were, were in perfect relational unity and harmony with their creator, with God And they were in perfect relational harmony with one another The book of Philemon wouldn't exist unless sin entered, right? Because everything would have been fine, we would have worked together Good means that it was accurate. The earth was accurate. It means we can study it. We can learn. We, I think we should explore. It's what God created it good. In fact, the only reason we have science is because God made the earth measurable and understandable. Because he created a good, matter is good, learning is good. We should learn truth. All truth is God's truth, right? I always say this, like like when my air conditioning breaks, I want the person that best understands how to fix air conditioning. Because that's a truth, That's 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 a truth that I need to be cool. I don't care if they're Christian or not. Can I just say that on the front end? I just want them to be great at air conditioning. All right? Because they have general revelation. They have truth. Only I could take theology and apply it to my house. Okay, so I want want my house to be cool. And I want them to be great at air conditioning. All truth is God's truth. Now sin, Pastor Andrew's going to preach on this in a couple weeks. Sin, has thrown it all off kilter. And we see this in Romans 8, verse 22, where the apostle Paul keeps re- really, refer- we're going to see in a minute, keeps referring back to Genesis, okay? And, and even, even creation itself has been thrown into this brokenness. In Romans eight twenty two, against its will, Paul says, all of creation was subjected to God's curse, curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Even the earth is groaning for the day of redemption when God will set straight all that has been lost and broken through sin. But God's original intent was that it was good and he created it good. God also, create, his creation reveals his glory. This is the wow factor. Right? We're to look at creation and go, wow. Like Nate prayed, like Nate said before his prayer, like if, if we're wowed by creation, how much more should we be wowed by our creator? We should look at creation and we should know that there's a God. And we should know that we can worship that God in truth. The, the apostle Paul May, and by the way, the book of Romans is, in my opinion, the, the most theological book of the New Testament. It, it spells out for us in the, in the most and the greatest detail the gospel and why we need a Savior. And, and Paul starts this theological treatise on the need for the gospel with an understanding of Genesis 1 and an understanding of creation. So check this out. In Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses here. Verse 18. But you understand where you, that this, is the, this is why Genesis 1 is important. You are here. But God shows, Romans one eighteen His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who do what? What's it say, church? They do what? Suppress the truth by their wickedness. What should they know about God? They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. How did he make it obvious? For ever since the world was created, people have been able to look at the earth and sky. How many of you looked in the sky last night? I was driving home about eight o'clock last night and I looked at the moon and it was like, whoa, anybody see that? And we're supposed to look at that, not worship the moon. This is where culture goes bad. We're supposed to worship the creator of the moon. We're supposed to be wowed by that and go, how in the world did that get there? Who thought of that? I want to know the creator of that glorious heavenly body. Paul says this has been made obvious from generation to generation. We look at creation and we know that there's a creator. Through everything God made, they can clearly see. What can they clearly see about God? Some invisible qualities. He's he's, he's powerful, his eternal power and his divine nature. So everybody is without excuse for not knowing God. Verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles and cars and houses and lake houses and on and on it goes, the stuff we worship. Yes, I added that. Because I know some of you are like, I don't worship a bird. No, you're worshiping an image on your computer. Every time you log on and look at pornography, you're giving your life in exchange for materialism. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful thing their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They, verse 25, they traded the truth about God for what, church? Church, they traded for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Here's our problem. Here's your problem. Here's my problem. Creation screams there's a God. And Paul says every human being knows it. And then because they want to do their own thing, they go through life suppressing the truth. And the more they suppress the truth, the more their minds and their hearts become clouded and dark. Why? Because we're sinners and we don't want God, and because of our sin, we reject God, and we choose sin and rebellion every single time over our Creator. Now, Paul, in verse 26, he goes on to list particular sins. Here's the overflow of our sinful nature, and it's particular sins but we have particular sins because our hearts are sinful. We are born in rebellion to our creator and we are in desperate need of saving. And all of this comes out of in the beginning, God. What God deserves is our worship and our pursuit and our praise and our obedience. I'm convinced That that is why there is such an attack in our culture on Christianity and on the Bible. Because I think we we live in a culture where people at the end of the day, they want to do what they want to do. Period. I want to to define righteousness the way I want to define it. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. So I'm I'm going to just give my life to explaining away the Creator. Genesis 1 is the beginning of revealing to us our dire need for a Savior. So there's some truths here. In the beginning, God. God created out of nothing. God is distinct from his creation, and therefore he is sovereign. God created the universe, and it was good, and it was for his glory so that we would worship him. Number five, I want you to theological truth out of Genesis 1. God created Adam and Eve. This is a long one. To be our first parents, to be our first parents and to be image bearers of him or to be image bearers of God. Genesis 127, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. Then God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I have given every green plant as food for the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life, and that is what happened. A couple of points I want to pull out of this. Number one, humanity... Is the pinnacle of creation. That's controversial to some of y'all. Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. Listen, you live in a culture that's attacking that idea. Right? I mean, it's subtle, but you hear it. And the earth would be great if it wasn't for these doggone humans messing up the ecosystem. That's bad thinking. I've never understood the dichotomy in our culture where we want to save the whales, but we want to abort the babies. And listen, a lot of people have that worldview, and I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. God is created. So humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. There is a uniqueness and a specialness to you. Some of y'all, I can tell, I can see some of y'all, some of y'all are kicking against that right now you've been told otherwise. Man is created to have dominion. Man's created to have dominion. God God set man as the pinnacle of creation and had dominion over us. By the way, dominion's not abuse. And dominion doesn't mean we shouldn't have stewardship. A good leader is always thinking about preserving resources and doing right things with resources. I'm not saying that. The Bible has a lot to say about we shouldn't be abusing animals. I'm not saying that either. But humanity is the pinnacle of creation and God created humanity to have dominion over the earth. We should be building technologically one generation upon the next. That's all good. It means God's created you with purpose. The fact that you're the pinnacle of creation and God has created you with purpose. Listen, there's nothing to me, this, I'm, I'm about to get emotional, there's nothing to me more hurtful or sad for our culture than for our children to be taught in our schools that you're a random set of accidents where everything just kinda came together in gelatinous muck. And you may have been here, you may have not. You're a random set of particles that came together. How sad. It's no wonder we've lost our way. No, you're the pinnacle of creation. God has honored you. you as male and female. You're created in the image of God and you have a purpose. God puts you here. And so, whatever you put your hand to, if you're running a business, run it with great purpose for the glory of God. I told you a couple of weeks ago how my dad was a blue collar guy and he, he, he worked for 35 years with his hands as an act of worship to God. He said, Man, I, I've been put here on purpose. You're not a random set of accident. You're not some random set of particles that just came together by accident. You were put here by God on purpose. That should give you hope. That should get you out of bed tomorrow morning. God created a male and female to bear the image of God. And that's imperative to our understanding. Genesis 1 is, our, is imperative to our understanding of marriage. It's imperative to our understanding of gender. The reason we're so gender confused in this culture is we've gotten rid of Genesis 1. It's imperative to our understanding of how we structure a church, by the way. Look at 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 3, read it on your own today. Paul says we structure a church because of Genesis 1, because of the way God created them, male and female. And when we throw this one out, we throw out everything else. And it's so, no wonder we're so confused in our culture. You have to understand Genesis 1 to understand your marriage your church and your culture and gender and we're gonna pastor joey's gonna talk about marriage in a couple weeks number six the sixth thing i want you to see this morning theological truth out of genesis one very very important your understanding of the greater narrative and uh we we spend a lot of time at coastal unpacking the greater narrative so today i want to give you just the x that you are here on the map okay adam and eve are historical figures who really did disobey God in time, space, and history in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Why, did I, why was I that thorough on that statement? Because it goes back to what I said about creation and how many days and all that. At the end of the day, wherever we find out the truth is about how all this happens, if it's seven little days, great. If it's not, great. This is the truth of Genesis 1. There's a literal Adam and Eve. They were placed in a literal Garden of Eden and they literally disobeyed God. Pastor Andrew's going to talk about that in a couple weeks. So, Adam, here's what this means Adam is our federal head. Adam represented the entire human race. And he sinned. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world and it brought death. Romans chapter 5. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam sinned brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We all sinned in Adam. And since he was our federal head, that means you are in need of saving. You're never going to understand the gospel until you understand how your federal head Adam sinned. And therefore, and then Jesus is our second Adam. He's the one that came and completely obeyed God. The second Adam is our hope for redemption. Next to that on your notes, you can write Jesus. And so Genesis 1 is setting up the bigger story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, by the way, if you love movies, movies make a ton of money, and there's a reason that movies make a ton of money. Like, we we all love a good story, right? We all love a good story. And all great stories find their story from the story. All great stories find their story from the story, and that's God's story, and God's story is one of creation, and God's story is one of the rebellion of the pinnacle of creation, the human race, and God in his sovereignty had the right to destroy his creation and start over, but God didn't do that. He... We get right out of the chute, right, right out of the beginning, the whispers of hope, which finds its fulfillment in the humility of our Creator, the Son of God, taking on flesh and bearing the wrath of God that my sin deserved, that your sin deserved, and our Creator, our Savior, Jesus Christ, conquering. The greatest enemy death and he rose again that we too might have both the abundant life here on earth but eternal life here in heaven first four words of the book in the beginning blank in the beginning however you fill in that next word Whatever you think about how you fill in that next word, how you process that, it has huge ramifications for your life. It has huge ramifications on the choices you will make. It has huge ramifications on what you fear or don't fear. It has huge ramifications on what you give your time to. It has huge ramifications about your marriage. It has huge ramifications about how you use your money. It has huge ramifications about what you believe about your sex life or your gender roles. It has huge ramifications about whether you believe that you need saving or not. Every choice you make in this life has to do with how you fill in that blank. In the beginning. and So Coastal, it's in the beginning, God, Yahweh, Elohim. He's a Trinitarian God. Who could have condemned us in the moment of rebellion, but rather chose to love us. And he showed us his love. And the rest of the story, from a chosen people where the Messiah would come from, where the Messiah was the Christ, the son of the living God, would wrap himself in flesh pay the penalty that I deserve put him in a grave and the grave couldn't hold him and he rose again all of that grows out of in the beginning God So what we're going to do I'm going to close this with prayer worship team's going to come up and we are going to sing praises to our creator to our savior and to our lord because in the beginning god let's pray heavenly father we pause for just a moment and we give you thanksgiving and we give you praise This is a moment of humility. This is a moment where we say, you know what, you're God and we're not. It's a moment where we bow in the end, we say, you have the right to rule. We don't. This is a moment where we acknowledge, you know what, left to ourselves, we're in complete rebellion to you. We don't don't want you, we want to do things our own way, and that way is the pathway to death. There's someone sitting here this morning that they walked into this room and they know, man, that's the pathway I've been on and and it's hard and it's difficult and they're discouraged. And, And as I was talking about a God who has purpose for them, there began to be a twinkling, a spark of life. I pray that today they would acknowledge their sin and they would acknowledge their need for a Savior and they would acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one who saves them. That they may have both abundant life here on earth the hope of eternal life. Because we acknowledge Genesis 1 that you existed from eternity past to eternity future. We rest in the truth of your word. We acknowledge you as our Creator and we acknowledge you as our Savior. So now, God, we are going to pause and we are going to give praise. We are going to give worship to you because you alone are worthy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand and sing. in his hands who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice given counsel to the Lord who can question any of his words who can teach the one who knows all things who can fathom all his wondrous deeds behold I It on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King. Nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. God bless you guys. Have a great week.